Don't look back because the market is closed. Good Wednesday afternoon, everyone. Tyler Harrods here with you for today's VRA Investing Podcast. Well, it was another interesting day for our markets today. All eyes were on this morning's CPI data, which absolutely got destroyed. Not exactly the outcome we were looking for there, not the one we've been talking about this week, but I'll cover that here more in a second because we've still got a lot of big topics to cover today. Namely, we've got more economic data yet to come out this week. We've got the PPI, the Producers Price Index, coming out tomorrow. We've also got a number of big earnings coming out this week as we continue to kick off Q2 earnings here. And some of these we see as very important. Tomorrow, we've got the big banks, JP Morgan and Morgan Stanley, uh, and a few other financial names as well. But the big one that we're gonna be watching for tomorrow morning, before the open, is Taiwan Semiconductors. Uh, TSM is the symbol. Uh, there's also TSMC, which is don't, not to be confused, right? Uh, but that's the name of the company, TSMC, ticker TSM. Uh, but TSM is seen as a bit of a bellwether for these semiconductor names. So this is going to be a big report coming out tomorrow. And ahead of it today, Taiwan Semiconductor up 2.77% on the day today. So we're looking at that as a little bit of a tell, hopefully, of what we can expect for tomorrow. Now it's in ripples throughout the semiconductor sector as a whole. If you've been following us for any amount of time, you know that's a big signal for us. We want to see tech leading the way and semis leading tech. So we want to see that tomorrow. And we did see semis leading the way today while our major indexes did finish lower on the day, while tech finished lower on the day, the semis were up 0.77%. So good to see there. But not to get too off topic here, back to the, the main subject, CPI data today. So we've talked about this a lot on our you know, Kips Midday vidcast at our podcast at the close and in our written updates to members that we were looking for better than expected CPI number, just like we were looking for a worse than expected jobs report last week. We really wanted that Goldilocks scenario where we got weaker than expected jobs that shows us that the economy is slowing, but a better CPI number than expected telling us that inflation was also slowing. That would have given us, like I said, the Goldilocks scenario where the Fed can look at that and say, all right, you know, we've started to accomplish some of our goals here. The economy is slowing. Let's take our foot off of the brake here just a little bit. That's not what we got on either end there as CPI came in today at 9.1%, well above estimates of 8.8% and well above last May's reading uh, of 8.6% as well. So not the outcome we were looking for, but we continue to see this as a buying opportunity here because CPI, as Kip covered in today's vidcast, which we really want an in-depth breakdown of the CPI number, go tune into it. You can find it at Rumble. Uh, you can find it on Spotify and all of our other pla podcast platforms out there. But CPI is a lagging indicator, right? It takes an average of the previous month's 
numbers. So it's not where we were on June 30th, just for an example there. But since the peak that we've seen in commodity prices a few months ago, we have seen commodity prices fall significantly. To pick any commodity that you want to look at, whether it's food, whether it's metals, all of them down between 30 and 50% from their peak. Take a look at some of these. Lumber, down over 50% from its peak. Nickel, down over 50%. Aluminum, down 37%. Natural gas, while it had a big day today, down roughly just under 30% now. Steel, down about 30%. Wheat, 28%. Uh, soybeans, down 18%. Copper, just hit a 52-week low today. Oil, down as well. Back below $100 a barrel now. So that's just to name a few, right? There's a whole lot more. I've got a big list here of how far commodity prices have fallen from their peak. We're also seeing it uh, as Ed Hyman and Evercore covered today. We're seeing it in freight as well. So shipping costs coming back down from their peak. Seeing it in fertilizer costs coming down from their peak and online products as well. So that being said, if we are starting to see peak inflation, a lot of people have been talking about it, but when you have a lot of people talking about something, usually means we're not quite there yet. Uh, so if we've started to see peak inflation here, we've still got the Fed raising rates. I'm going to cover that more here in a second as well. Um, but we're looking for a good buying opportunity here as people continue to be extremely pessimistic here. I know we've got so many. Tomorrow we get back the AAII Investor Sentiment Survey. That'll be a really interesting one. We've also gotten back to extreme fear mode on the fear and greed index, now hitting a 23 as of today. That is extreme fear. So these are the kind of times where we're looking for opportunities as contrarians. At the very least, you know, you're buying some of your favorite names at massive, massive discounts here. Uh, so even if you don't call the exact low, in our view, looking back on this in a few years time, you're going to be very happy with your decisions, especially if you're here with us in the VRA, investing in our VRA 10 baggers. We highly encourage all of our members and not just members, but investors as a whole to utilize dollar cost averaging. Uh, it's been a tried and true method of investing from all of the investing greats out there, not necessarily from a trader point of view as much. I'm sure traders use it as well, but it's a massive strategy for investors out there. And we think now is the time to be utilizing that to its fullest extent. But for the inflation numbers, whether it's CPI, really not just inflation, but economic numbers, including jobs reports, uh, producer price index, all of these, right? We put very little trust in the actual numbers that, that they do here, right? We've seen it in the jobs report where they're pulling future jobs into today's jobs report, manipulating those numbers. And if you've been here with us as well, you know, months ago when the CPI was out at roughly a 6%, we were saying then it was much likely closer to 15 to 20%. Now that it's coming in at 9.1, we still think that it's much on much more on the higher side of that, but we think we're getting to a point here where inflation 
may have peaked. So that doesn't mean that we're going to peak and come back down to where we were two years ago before all of this inflation really, really began. That would be absolute inflation. And I make this clarification quite often because I think it's such an interesting one. But you have absolute inflation and you have rate of change inflation. So absolute inflation, when you hear Jay Powell talking about transitory, he's likely trying to say that it's on an absolute term. So to break it down into a hypothetical, let's say you used to pay $5 for a pound of beef, and now that price is $10, right? Absolute inflation would mean that that price came all the way back down to $5 a pound of beef. Now the rate of change inflation, which we think this is much more likely of a scenario, we've seen it time and time again throughout history, that instead of coming all the way back down from $10 down to five, you're gonna go from 10 just below it to maybe about a nine. That would be rate of change inflation. Now, you can see with that kind of a number that the Fed would see that and say, oh hey, well, we beat inflation, start patting themselves on the back. Um, but that, that's not going to be the case, right? Inflation is still going to be there. Still, we're going to be paying a lot more for goods than we previously did, but, uh, it is what it is. You have to be aware of that situation, right? We're ending up with a permanent step after step higher, like we've seen since really the origination of the federal reserve in 1913, where the U S dollar has lost 98% of its purchasing power. And I'm gonna to try to keep this point quick here because I actually wasn't even gonna cover this today. But I think it is so interesting when you're thinking about the US dollar, when we have inflation at 9.1%, but this morning the dollar hit parity with the Euro, hit another 20 year plus high uh, before falling into the close today. Well, you have to look at the US dollar as two forms of currency. One is the national currency, right? You, what you pay for to get here at home versus an international currency where you have roughly 75% of the world's debt denominated in US dollars. So here at home, if you look back to 2008, think about your grocery bills back then to compare to now. Obviously, you're paying a lot more for electricity, uh, for uh, gas prices, for groceries, all of those things, right? But then you look at the dollar and see that it's up 30% since 2008. How is that possible, right? And then we go into it's an international currency. That 30% strength that we've seen in the US dollar doesn't mean that you have more purchasing power here at home. It means that the dollar is stronger on a relative basis to say the Euro or um, the Yen, the Japanese Yen or the Chinese renminbi. Right. So that's what we're looking at when we see strength in the U.S. dollar. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have more purchasing power. It just means that the demand for dollars around the globe continues to be on the rise. So as inflation takes over from these other countries, they have to buy more dollars and it's an endless cycle. As they do that, it inflates their currency more, but they have more dollars, makes ours stronger versus theirs. It is a very messy scenario out there. But it's exactly why we don't see the US dollar abandoning or losing its king dollar status anytime soon, where you see a lot of people out here super bearish 
long term on the dollar. We just don't see that as the case. But what was also really interesting today, ahead of the CPI print this morning, bond yields were on the rise, back above 3% on the 10-year. Well, we ended up getting crushed from there. The 10-year finishing down 1.83% on the day, back down to a 2.9. Seen a lot of volatility in the bond market here. But in our view, that's the bond market telling us that the chances of a recession are increasingly likely. The Fed is already saying, or the Fed Funds Futures is already saying that we're going to get a 1% rate hike in July instead of a 75 basis point hike. Um, those chances just went from a 7.6% yesterday for a 1% hike to a 67% chance today. Massive, massive jump there. That would bring the Fed Funds rate to a whopping 25 to 2.75%. Not a huge deal, folks. Consider this. Last time that inflation was this high in 1981, the 10-year yield was at nearly a 15%. So we are still on a historically very low level of bond yields here. But again, as we see it, bond yields heading lower tells us that the Fed tightening is leading us towards a recession, which ultimately means that the Fed will be forced to lower rates sooner rather than later. They will be forced to get back into quantitative easing sooner rather than later. In fact, the same Fed funds futures that I just talked about predicting a 1% chance of a rate hike going from 7% to 67% uh, in one day, they're also starting to price in a rate cut as soon as Q1 of 2023. <laughs> so, you know, the big hope there is that the Fed is wrong once again. They're going to make another policy error here, sending us into hopefully what will be a very mild recession. But as the Fed has now tried to prevent inflation from becoming entrenched, we think that it will likely be wrong about that, just like they were wrong about it being transitory. But on a long enough timeline, everything is transitory. So we look for inflation to pull back down from here. Um, and one other point that I was going to make um, about this. Um, well, I'm, I'm running over here a little bit anyway. So that being said, again, we see the bond market telling us that the Fed is going to head back to quantitative easing sooner rather than later. That's the take home point there. So taking a look at our market action on the day today, we did finish lower across the board. We saw some great action. The NASDAQ was positive for a long time, got some of our other major indexes positive. As I mentioned, the semis did finish positive, but I think that if you showed somebody today's CPI data coming in much hotter than expected, and then you showed them where the market finished on the day, they would be surprised. I think that most people would actually call that a win based on today's trading. Earlier, futures this morning, the Dow was down 350 points. We finished down 200. NASDAQ, even better. NASDAQ was minus 250 in the futures this morning, ended up finishing down 17 points on the day. So again, we'll take that as a win. But our leader on the day were the small caps, down 0.12% to 1,726. We were followed there by the NASDAQ down 0.15% or 17 points to 11,247. 
Next up, the S&P 500 down 0.45% to 3,801. And lastly, the Dow Jones, our laggard on the day, down 0.67% to 30,772. But again, we see this as a major opportunity here, folks. Uh, and so remember, this is an important time to remember some of the stats that we've been covering here for the last few weeks since we ended the first half of the year. So we've just wrapped up one of the worst first halves of the year, right? By some metrics, one of the worst first halves of the year, maybe ever, or at least in 80 years or so. But in previous years, where we were down 15% through June, through the first half of the year, this is going back to 1932. The final six months of the year were higher 100% of the time, five out of five times with an average return of 23.7%. So that's extremely bullish from this point right here. And then going back to 1962, when you see back-to-back -back quarters that were down more than 15%, as we just saw, the next two quarters were also higher 100% of the time, seven out of seven times with an average gain of 17%. And then over the next year, up 29.6%. Uh, so fantastic data there to back up our bullish views, but also a few more um, less statistical relevant, but still extremely relevant is that we're just three and a half months away from the midterms. We continue to expect a massive red wave uh, to take place in the midterms with Republicans taking back the House and the Senate. And if the one there's one thing that the market loves, it's gridlock in D.C. It prevents too much regulation being passed, new bills that can influence the pace of business, right? So businesses know a frame that they can work in and they end up loving gridlock, like I said. And history shows that the year after midterm elections, and we're only three and a half months away from them, are usually very strong as well. So we're looking, we want gridlock in DC. And yes, again, a recession here is a major concern, but as Mark Hubert said, you know, just last week, by the time that people are saying that you're in a recession, that's usually when stocks have bottomed. So that's what we're looking for here and why we remain so optimistic looking forward from here. All right, so looking at our internals on the day today, you know, for a day like today, again, where you had the CPI print, much like our major indexes, I think you'd look at the internals and call this a win. Declining stocks did be out advancing stocks, but not by much at all. Uh, so really, again, we'll take that as a win. New 52-week highs and lows continue to, excuse me, continue to lag here. But that's about to be expected as we're closer to 52-week uh, lows than highs. Uh, it's a bit of a lagging indicator as well, like CPI. We had roughly 500 stocks hitting 52-week lows today, but much better than three weeks ago when we had over 2,000 stocks hitting 52-week lows. Then lastly here, volume was our bright spot on the day. NYSE volume was positive until the close. You get a few, few recalibrations towards the end, came in roughly flat on the day. Again, we'll take that as a win. But NASDAQ volume came in positive by nearly $500 million worth. So that's, you know, that's a big win there today. Next up, looking at our sectors on the day. Today, we finished with two out of our 11 S&P 500 sectors higher on the day. That was consumer discretionary and uh, consumer staples. Our laggards on the day were utilities, communication services, and no surprise here, technology as well. 
Um, well, a little bit out of order there, but our laggards were actually industrials, communication services, and healthcare. Um, one other sector I want to check here before we get going. I want to see how housing did today. As housing has been, it was up on the day. Got HGX, the housing index, back above its 50-day moving average here. Uh, not by much, but 0.16%. And it's had a nice pattern of higher lows since its bottom uh, in, on, in June. So good to see housing as one of our leading economic indicators here for the VRA investing system. Good to see. Finally for today, our VRA commodity watch. Commodities also down big earlier in the session today. We had 52-week lows for, or either at or near 52-week lows for gold, copper, and for silver today. All of those rallied big off of their lows. Gold now about half a percent to $1,733 an ounce. But the big tell from this group today, GDX. GDX up a nice 1 point, or sorry, 2.17% on the day today, you wanna see the miners, that's where the leverage is, you wanna see the miners outperforming the base metal, and we got that today. Silver up as well by 0.87% to $19.12 an ounce. Copper now up 9 tenths of 1% to $3.31 a pound, really pretty much right at its 52-week low there though. And then oil up 6 tenths of 1% to $96.42 a barrel. And one more big mover on the day, because this was interesting. Natural gas was up big as the Russian energy company Gazprom, there's a lot of speculation about what's going on there with the Nord Stream 1, the natural gas pipeline between Russia and Germany. As they took it offline, a lot of people speculated that they weren't going to bring it back online. Now Gazprom came out today saying they can't guarantee that it's coming back online. I just talked about this on uh, one of my true social posts last week. Uh, go and give us a follow there. My, uh, my uh, handle is Tyler Harridge uh, or at Kip Harridge for his as well. I've been loving that so far. Feels so good to get away from you know the censorship of Twitter. But just three years ago, Donald Trump got laughed out of the room by Germans just making fun of him for saying that they would be dependent on Russian gas, Russian energy. They laughed at him. He said, y'all need to do something about this. It could be a problem in the future. It's a huge place of leverage for Russia. That's exactly what it's been. So another example there of Trump predictions coming to pass. Natural gas up over 6.8% on the day now. Finally for today, Bitcoin also rallying off the lows of the day. It was negative earlier. Uh, now up 1.5% to 19748 of Bitcoin. Folks, that's all that we have time for here today. Please be sure to subscribe to receive our VRA podcast every day at the market close. You can sign up at VRAinsider.com. Click the podcast link at the top, and we'd love to have you with us. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, we'll see you back here tomorrow for the close.